0: Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Bruce House Connect on some important religious liberties cases related to Christians and the family.
1: It also sends a, a message and a lesson to all Christians, pro life Christians, and people who just want to save pre born babies that the federal uh, government is arrayed against you. Um, the full weight of the federal government coming down on a on a pro-life dad on a sidewalk over a minor scuffle
0: Bruce House Connect next Although we in the U.S. don't face the difficulties Christians in some of the world's countries do, it's not even close, yet Bruce HouseConnect believes Christian citizens should still be concerned with challenges to our religious freedom and our ability to freely express our beliefs. As Focus on the Family's Judicial Analyst, Bruce is following a number of important cases and he'll tell us about some of them today. Bruce, tell us about your work at Focus and what kinds of cases you follow.
1: Yeah, I've been here uh, 18 years and in the judicial realm, I have been responsible for analyzing and reporting on just about everything that has come down through the courts over the years, whether it has to do with abortion or LGBT issues, including marriage and gender ideology uh, issues, basic free speech cases, uh, which tend to revolve around freedom of religion or life or LGBT issues as well, and, and just about anything else that that has come down the line uh, that affects the family, including legislation at the federal as well as the state level.
0: Well, there are numerous cases uh, um, that I'd like to ask you about, but first, one I believe might be the most recent or had the most recent action on it. And that's one involving women's interscholastic sports that you wrote about for Daily Citizen magazine and the second U.S. Circuit Court. Uh, if you would tell us what's happening there, why that is on your radar there at Focus on the Family.
1: The, uh, the second circuit case is very interesting because it involves some high school track athletes, female athletes uh, from Connecticut, who uh, from about 2017 to 2019 experienced the uh effect of a gender ideology decision of that uh, that state's governing board over school athletics which allowed transgender women uh they are men who claim to be women uh, so that they could compete in women's sports now these uh, female athletes ended up getting beaten and beaten badly uh, by a couple or a couple of these transgender uh, females which probably makes sense because they were bigger, faster, stronger than females. That's just a matter of biology and fact. The girls sued uh, using the Alliance Defense Fund uh, to help them and were unsuccessful both at the federal district court level and originally in their appeal to a three judge panel on the second circuit. However, that was as disappointing as that was it appears that the uh, what they call an en banc Second Circuit, which means all of the active judges, which uh, I remember 12 or 13 of them, um, take a vote amongst themselves to rehear the case because, and this is kind of a quirk of uh, federal appellate law that you almost have to be a lawyer to hmm. understand, they uh, they decided, hey, we're going to rehear this case as the full panel, all 12 of us, not just the three judge panel. And when you read between the lines of that, uh, the reason a majority of judges would vote to rehear a decision, a decision that's already been made by three of their own members, is that a majority of the judges think that they got that decision wrong. Since the girls lost at the three judge panel uh, level, this is quite promising and might might prove to be a win at the second circuit for those girls. So uh, very excited about that decision. And since 18 states around the country have already passed some uh, laws that protect women's sports, the fact that the second circuit may be looking to also uh, protect women's sports in Connecticut is a big deal.
0: And essentially what were the, the girls arguing that they, they, they felt uh, the competition was unfair?
1: The federal law that is known as Title IX, it had to do with the Education Amendment Act of, uh, I think 1972, and it was enacted in order to level the playing field for women who in secondary and and primary education had kind of been uh, pushed to the side with regard to athletics. Men's athletics got more money Uh, more exposure and consequently more opportunities to advance. And so they passed Title IX to level that playing field and permit women to have equal funding, equal opportunities to compete in their own sport uh, against other females and succeed and go on to have other opportunities in the athletic field and, and in all education. Title IX applies to all education. That has worked fine for the last 50 years until recently Uh, Places like Connecticut, as well as some federal agencies under the current administration, have redefined women to include these transgender folks that want to compete as the opposite sex. So that is what the women are saying. This new Connecticut rule violates Title IX. Title IX, the whole reason it was enacted was to give women the opportunity to compete against women and do well. What Connecticut has done and other states and, and the federal government is pushing this is to erase women by allowing men to compete against them, which uh, violates the whole spirit as well as the letter of Title IX. And and hopefully that's what the, the en banc court of the uh, of the Second Circuit is planning to rule.
0: Does this have any religious liberty angle to it, Bruce, or is this primarily focused on family related well, issues?
1: The issue of male and female is always a not only a biological issue but it's a christian biblical issue as well because as christians we all believe that god's creation is divided into two parts male and female for a purpose and that there is no such thing as being able to claim that you were misgendered at birth and that you were able to claim a new gender that is anti-biblical so there's a scientific, there's a biological, but there's a there's a biblical element to this whole dispute over gender ideology. A deep, deep biblical uh, issue involved there.
0: My guest is Mr. Bruce Connect. He he is an attorney and focus on the family judicial analyst. And uh, we're talking about various cases, current cases, uh, which court cases which relate to. Christians and the Institution of the Family, another one, uh, a name familiar to many, perhaps, Bruce, is that of cake baker Jack Phillips, who previously won a U.S. Supreme Court case, and he is now uh, being sued again in Colorado in Focus on the Family's home state, actually, right? That's right. Of Colorado. What's happening now with Mr. Phillips?
1: Jack Phillips has got to be the most (laughs) attacked baker in the history of the united states Um, he started in 2012 getting in the crosshairs of the colorado civil rights commission when um, a same-sex couple came to him and said we'd like you to create a custom wedding cake for our same-sex wedding and jack said no i can't i'm a christian i don't believe in uh, same-sex marriage but there will probably be plenty of people down the street i can refer you to that would be happy to do that they refused uh, took him to the commission the commission said that uh, his religious beliefs amounted to, were akin to Nazi beliefs or the religious beliefs that justified slavery. Um, And so he fought for six years until the Supreme Court in 2018 said the Civil Rights Commission had violated his religious liberty um, by being so hostile to his religious beliefs that there was no way it could act as an impartial tribunal. Um, But while that case was still going on, Jack was approached by a lawyer in Denver who uh, claimed to be a transgender female. He was a male who said he had transitioned to a female, and so he wanted a cake to commemorate his transition. And this attorney told him what the purpose of the cake was, and he said, I want to pink exterior and a blue interior to reflect, you know, my gender transition. And Jack said, well, you know, if you're going to make me bake a symbolically expressive cake like that, I can't do it because of my Christian beliefs about the value of male and female. God does not do that. And so um, that attorney, that transgender attorney took Jack to the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, who attempted to bring Jack uh, before its tribunal um, but Jack with the help of again with the help of attorneys at ADF countersued uh, the commission and when they looked in the mirror and saw that um, they were facing a counterclaim they settled the, they settled the case without proceeding against Jack <laughs> that left the transgender attorney free however to sue Jack on his own sued him in federal uh, or no in state district court. He won there. So the, that court said Jack had discriminated against him based on the Colorado statute. Mm-hmm. So he appealed to the court of appeals, which recently, uh, which recently upheld the decision of the district court. Uh, once again saying that Jack had discriminated against him against the transgender attorney. So, Jack is now facing a trip to the Colorado Supreme court where he lost many years ago already one time. Mm -hmm. So he's facing another kangaroo court, um, before he can possibly get to the U S Supreme court again. The only advantage that Jack might have this time around is because the U S Supreme court is set to rule in another important case having to do with the Colorado discrimination statute, and that is called 303 Creative, which has to do with a graphic and website uh, design artist named Lori Smith, who said, I just want to work with heterosexual couples who want to get married. I'm going to create marriage websites, wedding, engagement websites for them. and But this Colorado statute is going to force me to either violate my beliefs or, or I won't be able to start my business at all. So she sued the state and she has lost all the way Hmm. to the Supreme court and Supreme court held oral arguments for her last winter in December. And it looked very favorable. At least if you regard the questioning of the justices in that case, it looks very much like Lori is going to win some kind of victory in that case. Her victory, which might we hope uh, declare that the Colorado statute violates the first amendment, Jack, it, it, it violates her uh, freedom of speech, her freedom to associate with who she wants to as a business person and violates her freedom of religion. If she wins on those terms, um, before the Supreme court of Colorado rules uh, in Jack's case, then Jack might actually get a break at uh, the Colorado level and, and, and win, <laughs> but his track record for the last 10 years uh, has been that it takes a long time for him uh, to, to gain a legal victory.
0: Well, it is interesting that uh, somehow Colorado has become sort of an epicenter for these kinds of clashes between religious liberty and, in this case, a, a, a non-discrimination statute.
1: It certainly has and uh, as long as I've been at uh, Focus, we've watched the legislature go from red to blue and, and uh, those types of laws have been popping out of the legislature for the last 15 years easy. And they really have put Christians like uh, Jack Phillips and Lori Smith in the crosshairs of uh, being forced to either uh, violate their religious beliefs or go out of business mm. um, and, and uh, that's the way most or a lot of christians these days are finding how these laws work against them hopefully colorado is going to be forced by the courts to come around and and uh, recognize exactly what the first amendment means
0: bruce uh, we have some time here and there's some other cases i want to ask you about another one uh, very very one that's received a lot of uh, attention is that of pro-life father mark hauck he was vindicated, but what was he charged with? In what sense is he pro-life? What happened there?
1: Yeah, Mark, uh, was, as he always is, uh, uh, walking a sidewalk in front of a Philadelphia abortion clinic uh, with his son. I think his son is 10 or 12 years old at, at the time. This was, uh, last year or 2021. I can't remember which, but, there was on the sidewalk um an abortion escort now these are these are either employees or volunteers who uh try to assist women coming into the clinic you know keep them keep clear of these pro-life people here i will grab your elbow and take you indoors those are those are what the the clinic escorts do um but there was one this one escort was particularly hostile to both mark and his son it had been for every time they, they each appeared on the sidewalk in front of, of that clinic. And one day, um, this uh, escort got in the face of Mark's son, his young son, and started screaming vulgarities at him. Um, now, he reacted the same way I would if I had a 12-year-old son out, on her, out there on the sidewalk being verbally abused by this other gentleman. He got in between him and pushed uh, the escort away. Well, the escort tripped and fell and that supposedly formed the basis for the federal government arresting, Mark, on federal violation of the of the FACE Act. The FACE Act is the Federal Access to Clinic Entrances Act, which was designed to protect abortion clinics from obstruction. Um, and that was passed back in the 1990s. But before they got the feds involved, um, this escort tried to get the local police to arrest Mark, who wouldn't do it. He tried to get the local prosecutor to prosecute him, wouldn't do it, he sued Mark on his own and the judge threw the case out. So then he got the feds involved and, and the Department of Justice and the FBI. Um, well, I can't, uh, I can't believe it, but they sent uh, about 20 cars full filled with FBI uh, SWAT team members dressed to the hilt, armed to the hilt to knock on the door of Mark in his Pennsylvania home in front of seven kids and his wife and arrested him, terrorized the whole family and arrested him and, and, and got him charged with this federal felony, which would have put him in prison, federal prison for 11 years and could have been fined up to $350,000. The good news is though, uh, he went to trial in January and was acquitted uh, on mm. all charges. Um, which, you know, is, is a great victory for the pro-life movement, but it, it also sends a, a message and a, and a lesson to all Christians, pro-life Christians and people who just want to save preborn babies, that the federal uh, government is arrayed against you. Um, the full weight of the federal government coming down on a, on a pro-life dad on a sidewalk over a minor scuffle. That is amazing to me, but it, it tells you what we are up against.
0: And i understand they have since returned now to that very same abortion clinic, but what is it that they do when they're standing on the sidewalk?
1: You know, this is interesting. They're they're hoping to, uh, do a couple of things, pray, Uh, that the Lord will close that clinic, pray that women will change their minds before they walk through those doors, and they are willing to talk to any women who are on the sidewalk. And um, and the abortion clinics obviously don't like that because they're going to lose business if you talk uh, a woman out of uh, coming through those doors. And so that's that's what they do. And Mark and his whole family uh, recently appeared in front of that same abortion clinic, kind of unbowed, um, and, and kudos to him and his family for really uh, showing us what that profile and courage of a pro-life Christian really ought to be.
0: Unless we think these kind of cases are only happening in the United States, and maybe they are primarily happening here, but there was a one that was uh fairly well publicized a month or two ago, similar situation in the UK or in England, actually arresting a, a, a pro-life woman who was essentially just standing and praying in front of a an abortion clinic in England. But tell us what happened there.
1: Yes, and it's interesting because there have been recent developments in that. Actually, three um, British pro-life uh, Christians have been arrested, in a couple of different uh, English towns. First in Birmingham, where this uh, pro-life woman was arrested for silently praying in front of a closed abortion clinic after hours. She's approached by the police. Well, first of all, I back up. uh, Some of these local towns in England have uh, created essentially large buffer zones in front of of each uh, clinic. I call them censorship zones because they prohibit any kind of pro-life activity at all including is as, as it turns out prayer and they approached this woman um, after someone sent in a complaint so i think there's more to this story that we haven't heard yet but they asked her what are you doing and and uh she said well i might be praying and so they they <laughs> arrested her for that response <laughs> and Uh, because they assume they put two and two together. And they assume that if she's praying, she must be praying against abortion. And we can't have that in front of an abortion clinic. Uh, So they arrested her. Also, they arrested a a Catholic priest uh, in the same town of Birmingham. um, And those two, (laughs) after they were arrested, then the prosecutors got a hold of that case and they said, well, we don't want to prosecute you, but we're going to reserve our right to do so later. And they said, no, under British law, we want our day in court. And so these two, the priest and the pro-life woman, um, end up in, before a magistrate and, and the prosecutors are still unwilling to prosecute them. So the magistrate finds them not guilty of all charges on a permanent basis. So they, the prosecutors cannot, uh, rebring that case. But there's also another one uh, happening in Bournemouth, uh, England, with Mm. uh, a man who was arrested. Uh, He was standing in front of a clinic, and the police approached, and they said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm praying. And and this is no no lie. The police officer asked him, can I inquire as to the nature of your prayer? Mm. (laughs) And he said... I am praying for my dead son. Now he didn't say my this. I was praying for my dead son who was killed at this abortion clinic that I'm standing in front of. All he did was I'm praying for my dead son. The police put two and two together and said, "Wow, you must be praying against this abortion clinic, and therefore I'm going to fine you a hundred pounds, about one hundred twenty-five dollars in hmm. the U.S." And so he is still um, fighting that uh, fighting that fine and ADF is, is helping him too. their, their office in, in the UK. So uh, that's something that we have yet to see even an American uh, jurisdiction try. Uh, the thought police are alive and well in Britain, but you can believe we'll see them here if they can get away with it there.
0: Well, you you write uh, in the Daily Citizen, I believe it's there, about another case uh, unrelated to abortion, but really arising out of the pandemic, uh, and that is of a nine-year-old girl who had a face mask on, uh, I think, that said, Jesus uh, loves me, and uh, some might think, well, that sounds pretty benign, but actually it became uh, a, a big deal. Uh, what, what, t- tell us about that. What, what happened there? Yes.
1: Yeah, so the- a little nine-year-old girl named Lydia Booth in the state of Mississippi during the pandemic uh, went to school wearing a, a, a face mask like we've all become familiar with, except that hers said, Jesus loves me uh, on the front of it. And her school told her, I'm sorry, but we can't have religious or political messages of any kind. Um, so you you are prohibited from wearing that mask uh, in school. Now, what they also allowed, however, was every other kind of speech on anyone's mask. It, as long as it wasn't religious or political, then apparently this Mississippi school would let you, you know, bring wear those to, to school. However, um, that's not what the First Amendment says. It doesn't say uh, government uh, shall not infringe only certain types of speech. It says you, they, the gov- government shall not infringe speech, and so this little girl and her parents went to ADF and uh, got involved. and And after some letter writing and some education about the First Amendment, uh, and it took a while, this uh, young girl was finally allowed to um, her her First Amendment rights. Of course, they're not wearing masks anymore now in Mississippi but ADF forced the school to revise its policies so that it, you know, they were more free speech friendly. It's one of those things that we see in a a hundred different cases every year from colleges to grade schools, schools afraid of hearing religious speech on on their premises. They always fear the repercussions of allowing kids and students to talk about religion. And so they ban it out of fear, but, Luckily, fortunately, blessedly, because of our founders, we have uh, the right to free speech, and that includes religious speech as well, and and Lydia Booth, and those that read about that case will know better the next time.
0: Well, certainly, uh, these these cases that you've gone over, Bruce, we've talked a bit about uh, cases in the UK, but the those in the US certainly show what, what a division there is in our culture over many of these issues that bear on religious liberty and i suppose fortunately we there are the there is the legal avenue for redress that for these people the only uh, redress or remedy left for them is is the court system is that fair to say
1: yeah it's fair to say and we are blessed with uh such a good um Court system, it may not have the right judges, but because of the appellate process, there are tiers of possibilities for judges and courts to get things right and, and that's a that's another gift from the founders. Um, And maybe we have uh, England's uh, common law courts to thank for that as well. Um, But we have a lot to be thankful for in terms of how the US court system is run, but it really takes vigilance on the part of the american people to keep it that way because elections determine who the judges are and elections have consequences in who those judges are and we can easily uh, get bad decisions that will impact free speech and freedom of religion uh, for decades to come as we've found out numerous times throughout our history
0: Well, uh, Mr. Bruce, House Connect, my guest today, he is focused on the family's Judicial Analyst. He also writes for Daily Citizen magazine. And Bruce, just as we kind of wrap up here today, our time's gone very quickly, but what can you tell us about Daily Citizen? Why would people benefit from reading it?
1: Our goal is to educate and motivate Christians. We handle uh, the current news, but from a Christian perspective. And we focus on things like freedom of religion or abortion or LGBT issues or marriage, um, anything that affects the family because of because that's the way our entire ministry is geared. So we try to help Christians understand what's going on in the culture from a biblical perspective. And so we write about that every day. That's on our website at focusonthefamily.com. You can also get there through um, thedailycitizen.org. So... Both of
0: those things, uh, both avenues will get you to our our website. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Bruce House Connect, Judicial Analyst for Focus on the Family. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at the same time for another edition of His People.